Let's start with prayer. Father, thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for your word. I pray as we spend some time looking at at this passage and at this concept of worship that you uh, would give us clarity to think about what it means to serve you only and to forsake other objects of worship and to be exclusively devoted to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16 in the New Testament. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Luke chapter 16. If you're uh, using the Bibles provided here in the room, you'll find that on page 748. Have you ever heard someone tell a story and then at the end of the story you didn't understand the point of the story? A few times. Maybe it ended you know, with a punchline and you're like, I don't see how that connected or I just didn't get it. Or maybe there was a plot twist and you're like, what, what went on? You know, what did I just hear? Uh, the Bible has some stories like that. Uh, sometimes it's the author who's just writing it or sometimes it's somebody who's speaking it. It's actually sort of common for Jesus to tell stories and then have that kind of reaction where you just kind of go, or maybe even you read about the listeners who think to themselves, what does that mean, or what did I just hear? Jesus is, I think, probably the most difficult person in the Bible to, to understand sometimes. He was a, an extraordinary teacher, we know, and one of, the primary, one of his primary teaching methods was he told stories. Most of his stories are parables. And a parable is a story that may or may not have been true, it may or may not have been a real event, but it illustrated something that was true. It illustrated a spiritual point. Tonight we're going to look at one of those parables, and I would say it's probably one of his most misunderstood parables, and it deals with our topic of worship. Christianity requires that we worship Jesus exclusively. We put everything else aside and we worship only Christ. And to do that, we need to make sense of what he tells us about worship and what competes with him for worship. The main, the main point for tonight that you're going to see uh, really comes from verse 13. We're, we'll skip ahead to verse 13. I'll go ahead and read the, the verse um, and, then, and then give the story that leads up to the verse. If you look at Luke 16, 13, Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then here's how he sums that all up. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve or worship God and money. You you will pick one of those two things. So we're kind of concluding this Series on worship, we've spent four weeks now, we talked about how we become like what we worship. We become like the, the object of worship. We've, we've looked at what, it, what does the Bible have to say about when we gather for worship, what should that look like. Last week, Grant helped us to think about the importance of singing together when we worship, as, uh, singing as an act of worship, and, and we'll even get to sing together, I think, a little bit later. Tonight, I want to approach it from the standpoint of of individual worship. How do you and I individually in our lives 
personally worship Jesus? What is that? And how, and how do we do it um, while avoiding things that would um, tend to distract us from Jesus? I, I want to start with a question. I want to get your feedback. Why do you suppose that Jesus put money in the blank there? In other words, you cannot serve God and... And seemingly, you'd think you, he could put anything in that blank, right? You cannot serve God and yourself. You cannot serve God and, um, and, and your body. You cannot serve God and food. You cannot serve God and, you know, strength or success. Like, you could have, seemingly, you could have put anything in the blank. Why did he say money? What do you think, Lily? The root of, of what now? The root of most of those other things I just listed. So desire and self and success. The root of most of those other things is money. Okay? I think that's a great point. Any other ideas? Why would he say you cannot serve God and money? <clears throat> Anybody want to add to that? I think that's a great point. Uh huh. He probably did. Yeah, he knew that. So actually, if you look at verse one, he's speaking this to his disciples. But apparently, these Pharisees were eavesdropping, right? And they loved money. That was one of the characteristics about these Jewish religious leaders. And so, yeah, he probably is making the point to them, but not directly to them, that what it is they love, they cannot serve. That and God. Here's, here's, the, here's the other thing to think about. And this probably goes along with, some, uh, with what Lily said. And that is, most anything else that most often competes with God for our greatest affections is either money itself or it's something money can buy. Or something money can attain. So, so maybe a... Maybe a um, you know, an item, a treasure that we have that like if, if, I could, if I could just own this kind of house or this car or maybe it's just if I had enough cushion in my bank account or maybe it's just if I had the status that went along with being financially secure. Now, some of you are like, man, I'm 13 years old. I don't have a dime, okay? And, and that's fine, okay? I get it. Some of you in here don't have jobs. You, you aren't of, work, of working age. And yet, I would imagine that most of the things that you most want in life, you think to yourself, well, man, if I had some money, I could really make myself pretty happy. And so this might not be directly, it might not feel directly relevant to you now, but it's something that down the road for sure will be. <clears throat> uh, Cheryl brought up a great point about verse 14, the Pharisees who are who were lovers of money. Jesus starts this story in verse 1, if you look at it with me. He says, he said also his, to his disciples, there was a rich man. So you know this is about a man with a lot of money. If you go down to verse 19 of the same chapter, how does that parable start? What does it say? There was a rich man. There was a rich man. So there's obviously a theme of money throughout this chapter, right? Jesus is telling stories and giving lessons about finances uh, throughout this whole chapter. Um, let me just read through the story and see if it confuses you the way it confuses a lot of folks and, and even 
confused me. Uh, but then we'll try to make some sense of it. So let's start in verse 1. He said also to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What should I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And the manager said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And, and that man said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. <clears throat> uh, verse eight. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Let's stop there, okay? Uh, who's confused at this point? All right, this, there's a lot of details in the story, and it's like, hold on. The guy who tricked the, the master into, uh, um, you know, earning less than what he was owed is actually, like, that guy's actually happy. Let's, let's see if we can, um, let's see if we can illustrate this, okay? Um, I, I, need, I need some people to stand up here with me. I need about four people, Okay. Christian, I need a few others. Okay, you ladies, that's fine. One more guy. Okay, thank you, Sam. All right. <clears throat> um, okay, that's fine. You ladies, stand here. Um, who wants to be the rich man? All right, Christian's a rich man. Uh, Sam, that makes you the shrewd manager, okay? Um, you guys are the, are the people who owe money. All right, you're the debtors. Sounds like me. Sounds like you? I'm already in debt, so it's fine. Is this confession time? Yeah. Oh, you owe me money. <laughs> oh, no. That's fine. Okay. I tried paying. Um, all right. Christian has hired Sam to um, run his accounts. Christian is so rich, he's like, you know what? I don't want to take care of all my money. I'll pay somebody else to do it. And so Sam is supposed to invest his money and uh, make sure, you know, to uh, increase his wealth and, yeah, pay the bills, but mainly to invest and to, to earn as much back as he can. Well, here's what happened. Sam did an awful job. Um, wow. Sam actually, um, actually got in debt uh, with Christian's money. So uh, Christian, Christian says to Sam... You're fired. Okay? You, you're losing me money. You're fired. All right? So now Sam is thinking to himself. Hold on. So now Sam is thinking to himself, um, okay, I'm in big trouble. This is, my, this is my job. I don't have a way to make money. I, I can't dig. Look at Sam. He can't dig. He can't do physical labor. All right? Um, you know, so then he's like, okay, well, I could, I could be a beggar. And Sam's like, I don't know. Those guys get kind of a bad rap. I don't want to be a beggar. I'm, that's kind of, you know, I'm too ashamed to do that. Um, 
Christian, Christian is so upset. Christian is just pretty sure that all the money that is now owed to him, he'll never get it. He's like, I'll never see that money now. Um, you know, this uh, Sam here has just wasted it all. I'm not getting any of it back. And Sam is thinking, okay, I'm in big trouble, but there might be a way that I can um, make myself look pretty good here, okay? And so Sam goes to these, goes to these debtors who wants to be first. Go ahead, you be first. You owe the most. Come on, come on, come on, come on. All right, Sam. Um, she owes you a hundred, let's just say a hundred dollars. All right, we'll, yeah. use, we'll use contemporary terms. A hundred dollars, okay? But Sam, Sam knows, all right, uh, that, it, that in that economy, that's a lot of money. She, not, she might not be able to pay the whole thing right away. And Sam basically says, look, if you give me 50 now, we'll just call it even. Okay? She thinks, oh, that's a pretty good deal. I'll just, I'll pay half of what I owe. So she's going to give him 50. All right? And then he takes it back to his... <laughs> Uh, his rich man, okay, come to the next person. Uh-huh. She owes she owes a hundred. Oh my god! And and Sam's like, okay, well it worked that I got fifty. I'll ask her for a little more. I'll ask her for eighty. But Lily's thinking, okay, I still owe a hundred. This is still a pretty good deal. Um, I'm still going to pay less than what I owe. All right. So Lily's willing to do it. Sam is thinking to himself, uh-huh. okay, now I'm on the good side of both of them, and I just might be on the good side of my master because he takes that 50 and 80, and he gives it back to his master. And what, 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 did, what did Christian think he was going to get initially? Nothing. He's like, well, I'm owed 200. I'm not going to get anything. But Sam is so shrewd that he, he realizes I've just given my master 80 and 80% and 50% of what he thought he wasn't going to get anything. All right? And so Christian here instead of being upset with Sam is now is now saying something like um, man, that's really clever. You're still fired. But you know, but hey, that's pretty clever. Now, Sam needs to apparently be able to um you know, get work later, right? Like he needs a job. But now, who is he in good favor with? These debtors, right? So now Sam could come over here and be like, listen, do you remember when I worked out a good deal for you? Why don't you hire me, uh, you know, no. to, to manage, your, uh, manage your affairs, all right? You think they'd hire him? No. Yes. I think they probably would, right? Okay, you guys can be seated. Um, does, that, does, that help, does that help clarify the story a little bit? Does that help clarify the story a little bit? Okay. Um, here's, here's the point, and I know, on your, I know on your notes I think I didn't give any blanks. They're just pretty straightforward comments. But the point that Jesus seems to be making is that worldly people deal with worldly wealth in a worldly way. So let's, let's actually think about what happened in that illustration. Um, did, Sam, did Sam really... Okay, did, did the manager really um, go about all of that the right way? No, not really. He, sh- he should have just been faithful the whole time with what his master entrusted him with, right? But he wasn't. Now, at the end, he came up with a clever way to put himself in good standing with both the debtors and the master. But 
he still did it in a worldly way. Would, do you think that would have been something that God was pleased with? No. no. But apparently, Sam's not even a Christian. Okay? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 right? Um, because Jesus says, Jesus says, the sons of this world, meaning the people who follow the ways of this world, they are more shrewd at handling worldly affairs, worldly wealth, he says, than, than the sons of light. Um, so because Sam is a son of this world, he gets how the world works. He, he can do things in a clever way that impress other people in the world. Here's, here's how Jesus then contrasts that uh, with what he says the sons of light should actually be like. So let's, let's pick it up in verse 9. He says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings. There's at least one thing that's very clear from that verse. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails. What's very clear about that verse? Unrighteous wealth, or you could just say worldly money, will fail. Worldly money gets you nowhere in eternity. Whether you have much or little does not directly determine your eternal destiny. So, so are there Christians, are there some Christians who are really good businessmen and women? There are, right? So Jesus' point is obviously not Christians make lousy business people. All right, that would, that would be untrue. But his point is that when it comes to dealing with worldly wealth in a worldly way, worldly people are better at that than Christians are. And that's okay. Um, because unrighteous wealth will fail. But is there a way to use worldly wealth in a heavenly way? And how do you do that? Jesus says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He, he, he seems to be saying something like, use your money as a way to influence people who will then go to heaven with you. Use your money, use your unrighteous wealth in a way that other people can join you in going to eternal dwellings, to houses. You can be welcomed into houses that don't fail. They last for eternity. So there is a way for, and this is the second point, there is a way for heavenly people to use worldly wealth in heavenly ways. To invest our money in ways that influence people so that they will go to heaven with us. Now, again, let's, let's be very clear about what Jesus is not saying. Do you think that Jesus is saying that money can somehow help you get into heaven? Again, obviously not. You, you being generous with your money to an unbeliever doesn't save that person, does it? And it doesn't save you, does it? But probably when we are generous with our money because we know Christ has been generous toward us, we are able to show the world the generosity of Christ. We are able to show them that Christ didn't just give up money. He gave up heaven and came to earth. And he lived as a servant. And he died in our place. He paid the ultimate price so that you and I will have riches when this life is over. Even though our earthly money will fail, we can go into eternal dwellings and we can be there forever. If we worship him with our money now, it will lead to us being able to worship him forever in heaven. So look at these principles that, that he says uh, to close this story. In verse 10, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. 
One who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. No, notice the words there that are used. Dishonest would remind us of, of who? Sam, right? The, the manager. This dishonest, shrewd uh, steward who was, who was dishonest about his master's money. What's the contrast though? You are either dishonest with what you are uh, stewarded with or you are faithful, right? So verse 11, If then you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? I think Jesus' point is probably something like this. Everything you own, okay, every cent, every dollar that you own, are you really the owner of it? No. You're a steward. You've been entrusted with it. You are either to be faithful to the one who has entrusted you with it, and if you're, if you're unfaithful, then Jesus says you are dishonest with it. Uh, you are using it to benefit yourself. You, you are a dishonest manager. Or you can be faithful. If you are a dishonest manager, what does it actually show uh, about your money? I think verse 13 helps us answer this. No servant can serve two masters. So if you are a dishonest manager, in other words, if you don't steward the money that God has lent you well, what are you actually serving? The money, right? Um, the way to serve God and not money is to be faithful with what He's entrusted you and to use that money to invest in what actually matters for eternity. And in doing that, that shows that you serve God and not money because you cannot serve both. We cannot serve God and money. Now, think back even to Jesus is, is in the wilderness. He's uh, tempted by the devil. And one of the, one of the statements that Jesus makes to Satan in the wilderness is a quote from the Old Testament when he says, You shall... Worship the Lord your God, and Him alone you shall serve. Does that sound familiar? You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him alone you shall serve. So this is a, this is a principle, the principle that, that we can serve God alone. If we serve God, we're choosing to serve Him and nothing else. We must serve Him alone. That's a principle that goes all the way back even to the Old Testament. This is, this is all throughout Scripture. So like I said, you really could, could paraphrase this and say, you cannot, we cannot serve God and, and then just fill in the blank with whatever it is. So for may, maybe for you, serving money is not a temptation. Maybe, maybe you don't have much and you're like, you know what, that's, that's just as well. I don't need much. I'm happy with, I'm content, happy with what I have. Whatever I have, I just want to use it to serve the Lord anyway. That's great. Maybe there's something, maybe, maybe it really is something else other than than money. But all people serve either God or the things of this world. We are either faithful stewards with what God has given us or we will be dishonest managers. So as we think about what it means to worship privately or individually, uh, personal worship, keep in mind that what you have is most likely to distract you from worship um, than, than anything else. Possessions get in the way of the giver of those possessions quite often. So my plea, my, my uh, urgent request for you and for us 
is that uh, we serve God and not money. We serve the giver and not the gifts. That's my prayer. Would you pray with me? So, Father, I pray you'll help us to apply, uh, help us to know practically how to live out uh, the instructions you've given here. Uh, Thank you for the teachings of Jesus and how clear he is uh, about about these issues. I pray we'll um, see the things of this world as good gifts, but that we won't serve them as God, that we, were, that we would indeed serve Christ alone. We pray in His name. Amen.